0: Luke chapter number 4. As you're turning there, I want you to listen to this thought. History records that St. Augustine, who was an early church leader around the 4th century, so just a few centuries after the works of Jesus here in the world, after the canon of Scripture had been completed, he said this about people. They love the truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. They love the truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. As we look at Luke 4, and we're looking at verses 14 through 32 today, I think that what we find here is a, an explanation of the response from the Jewish people to Jesus. We, we find that explanation in St. Augustine's observation that they love truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he regularly faced opposition, adversity from Jewish people, especially the religious leaders. I love how John writes about it in chapter 1, just generally speaking about the coming and the ministry of Jesus Christ. When John pens, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was born a Jewish man, he went to the Jews. In fact, when he had a conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well outside of Sychar, he said to that Samaritan woman, salvation is of the Jews. But when he came unto his own, because he told them the truth, they rejected him. We find that happen here in Luke chapter 4, even in his own hometown. These people regularly disapproved of Jesus because they disapproved his message, especially when it expressed God's disapproval of them. The Jews are God's special treasure. They are the apple of his eye. And yet Jesus came with a message that God disapproved of them. That they needed more than what they had. and He was that answer, but they did not receive him. We'll read this text in Luke 4, beginning in verse 14, all the way through verse 32. And then examine it as we consider this thought. Turning Jesus away. It takes place here in Luke chapter 4. And as we consider it within the context, I want you and I to understand that they turned Jesus away by their response to him. We can do the same thing. Luke chapter 4, look beginning in verse number 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as it was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set out them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many... Lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisus, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way, and came down to Capernaum, City of Galilee and taught them on the Sabbath days, and when they were and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. In Luke's gospel, it seems like we flow from the temptation of Jesus in verses one through thirteen right into the events of verses sixteen through thirty-two. But I want you to notice, just so we understand the context, that in verses 14 and 15, the Bible tells us that Jesus goes by the power of the Spirit into Galilee and he's going around teaching in their synagogues. He's preaching the kingdom of God, he's doing miracles and works. And so when he returns to his hometown Nazareth, they've heard about what Jesus is teaching, they've heard about what he is doing. He's been gone for some time. Two verses, but it's been a period of months. In fact, Warren Weersby observes that the events recorded in John 1, 19, through chapter 4, verse 45 took place at this time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't record any of those events that John does, but there's been a lot taking place before we get to Nazareth after the temptation of Jesus And so when he comes to Nazareth, he is is ministering about Galilee. He returns to his hometown. This is the beginning of his ministry in this place. And that should perhaps strike us as a little odd. Where might we think the Messiah would begin his ministry and his work? In Jerusalem in Judea the region where Jerusalem was located that he'd begin there in God's city that he would begin there at the seat of the Jewish nation and Jewish religion that he would begin there among the religious leaders but that's not where he began he began his ministry here and it's a beautiful thing why is it a beautiful thing two reasons first of all because this was home this was Jesus home area this is where he grew up those this is where those who knew him best were this is where many of his disciples came from this was a place of his family of his kin of his friends. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Friends, can I remind you that our work as believers in Jesus Christ often begins at home? Even later on, when Jesus would commission his disciples, he would tell them to be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. They were to begin at home. And then spread the message beyond there: "For you and I, our work as believers in Jesus Christ should begin right at home. Where is home for you? Perhaps it's with family, friends, kin. Perhaps it's with people you rub shoulders with with day in and day out. Perhaps it's with a neighbor. We have determined to grow in our love for God and others this year, we need to be busy making sure that we are loving those right next to us. That we are sharing the work of Jesus with them. The people we rub shoulders with every day. I am thankful for a church that has a heart for worldwide missions. That is why we support so many missionaries in so many places with a good portion of our budget year in and year out. But friends, can I remind you that we are called to a work right here at home in our community. But it's beautiful for another reason Not only because it was home It's beautiful because The Jews of Galilee Were second class citizens They were backwater people To the people of Judea and Jerusalem when, when the Jews of Jerusalem and Judea fought about Galilee They didn't think of equal brothers and sisters of God. They thought of lower class, further from God type people. That was their thoughts of even their Jewish brothers and sisters there. And this is where Jesus began his work. Jesus became poor for our sakes. Jesus did not go to The capital city. He didn't go to the wealthy. He didn't go to the prominent and begin his work there. Jesus began his ministry among the poor, the marginalized, the forgotten, and the neglected. That's where he began his work. And that is the group from which he called his disciples primarily to follow him and spread his message and do his work. I'm thankful that Jesus began his work in a place like that. And after ministering for a time in the region of Galilee, Jesus came home home, his hometown of Nazareth. You may recall several months ago we studied in Mark chapter 6 of Jesus visit to Nazareth. But I want you to understand this morning that the account recorded in Matthew 13:54 through 58 and Mark 6, one through 6 does not reflect the event that Luke shares here. Matthew 13 and Mark 6 record a subsequent visit that Jesus would make to Nazareth at a later time. This is his first return to Nazareth after his baptism temptation in the beginning of his ministry. But word has spread. For several months he's been going through Galilee teaching preaching the kingdom of God, doing great miracles and great works. And so when Jesus came home, he came home to present himself, his message, his mission to his hometown friends. They were looking forward to hearing from him, to seeing what he would do among them. And so on the Sabbath day, which was his regular activity, he went into the synagogue to pray to hear the word of God read and interpreted by the rabbi. Wow, that itself speaks volumes to me. Because it speaks to me about our activity in God's house. Can I ask you to pause and think for a moment? Here was Jesus, the son of God, the very word of God himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's the express image, the the representation of the Father to man. And Jesus regularly assembled with other believers, brothers and sisters who were also Jews, to pray, to hear the Word of God read, and to hear it taught. Even though he knew, he knew that some of the interpretations were going to be off, especially as you consider what they looked for in a Messiah. He knew that he was going to see some of the hypocrisy that he would often preach against, and yet, he faithfully assembled with them to pray to read God's word, to hear it taught. Friends, does that speak to your heart about God's desire for us today? Is it God's desire for us today to regularly assemble with brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray, to hear God's word read, and to hear it taught? But pastor, there are some problems even in the church. Yeah? Pastor, there are some imperfect people in the church. Some of them sit in my row. Yeah, and yet that's God's desire for us, and Jesus exemplified that throughout his life. Don't go to church to look at other people or for other people. Go to church to look at Jesus. And if you go to look church to look at Jesus, you might see some imperfections in people around you, but you will always see Jesus if you go looking for him. That was free. When Jesus came to the synagogue morning, he was invited to stand to read the word of God and interpret the, the reading. That's what they would do. They would read a portion of scripture What they had, of course, the Old Testament. And then they would interpret the Scripture. And so Jesus did. He stood to read the Word, and then he sat down to interpret the Word. Sometimes when you read this passage and the Bible speaks about Jesus sitting down, you might get the impression that he's done That He read the verse and a half that he read, and he sat down because he was done. But that's not what's going on. In the synagogue, they would stand to read the word of God out of honor to the word of God. The speaker would, and then he would sit in a place that they had in the synagogue that was called Moses' seat. And they would sit there to then give the interpretation of the reading. So when Jesus stands, he reads out of Isaiah what we know of as Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, the first half of verse 2. And then he sits down. He's not indicating that he's done. He's indicating that it's time now to give the interpretation of the reading. So that's what's going on. When the people's eyes are fastened on him, they are expecting to receive something from him they've heard god's word read and now what is he going to say about the reading but here's what happened as jesus gave the word the truth that enlightens also accused and they rejected him And through their rejection of him, they turned him away. I'm concerned today that as the people of Nazareth turned Jesus away, so we are in danger. Danger exists that we can turn Jesus away through our response or lack thereof to him. And so today, I want us to learn from Luke 4, 14 through 32, how the people of Nazareth turned Jesus away so that we can learn how to avoid doing the same. Number one, I want you to see this. They turned Jesus away through rejecting his message. They turned Jesus away through rejecting his message. His message, again, based... ...in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2... ...included a brief but revealing claim. When Jesus read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2... ...everyone in the synagogue recognized... ...that this was a messianic prophecy. That when it spoke of the Spirit of the Lord... ...being upon me to do these things... ...they knew that that was a prophetic revelation... ...of the Messiah... and and what his ministry would look like, what it would entail. And so Jesus read that verse, verse 1, the first half of verse 2 in our Bibles, and then he sat down, and their eyes were fastened on him. What's he going to say? How is he going to interpret this passage of scripture and what did jesus say as they are looking on him listening for what he would say he says these words this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears wow here's a prophetic prophecy a prediction from God of what the Messiah would do. They've been waiting for the Messiah all their lives. Generations of Jews had been born, lived, and died, all waiting for the fulfillment of the promise that the Messiah, the anointed one of God, would come to them. And now here's Jesus, a hometown boy. Jesus, who had grown up there, in a town of about 450 people how many of you are from a place that you would describe everybody knows everybody i mean you not only know your neighbors names you know their dog's name and their cat's name and you know the the fights in their house let alone your own you know you know what's going on in their house You know everybody in town. You know all the local gossip. You know all the local news. I I mean, just everyone knows everyone. And when something happens, everybody knows who was involved. Jesus is that hometown boy. It's a small town. Everybody knew his family. Everybody knew his kin. Everybody knew uh, about his growing up. Everybody knew everything there was to know about his family And now here he sits as a young man And he says to them This scripture is fulfilled today Right here, right now in this place Through the passage and his message Jesus identified two important truths Number one, he identified his power Where did his power come from? The Holy Spirit Look at verse 14 again. It says there that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And then in verse 18, the prophecy said that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon the Messiah, God's very Spirit, which in their experience did not come on and rest on everyone came on and rusted at particular times for particular reasons, particular people who would do a work for God, it would complete that work, and then God's Spirit would depart. But now the Spirit of God is upon him, resting upon him, within him, empowering and enabling the work. And Jesus says, that's true of me. He not only revealed or identified his power, he identified his purpose. Jesus identified himself with the Messiah and suffering servant sent from God to deliver his suffering oppressed people. What would that mean for them? Three things. Number one, he would provide freedom. As Jesus speaks of this verse, the language of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 often caused the jewish mind to think about a specific year spoken of in the old testament torah the law it would cause them to think of that 50th year called the year of jubilee what was the year of jubilee all about during the year of jubilee which took place every 50th year god's law was in that 50th year the year of jubilee every debt is forgiven Man, how awesome would that be? If you knew, okay, we're in the 48th year. We're two years away from the year of Jubilee. I'm going to go ahead and take out that 30-year mortgage on my house now. So that two years later, it could be wiped out. That'd be pretty cool. Every person who was enslaved was set free. Every debt forgiven Every person in bondage set free. And here Jesus said that was part of the ministry of the Messiah. The Messiah would provide pardon and release from debt. He would restore what has been lost. That was part of Jubilee as well. If if your family had to sell your inheritance or through debt, your inheritance was taken away, was reclaimed. In the year of Jubilee, it would be restored to you. Jesus said that's part of the ministry of the Messiah. Of course, they had their own thoughts about what this meant, but Jesus goes on. Not only would He provide freedom, He would provide what they really needed, and that is forgiveness. Jesus uses unmistakable language. Look in your Bibles. When He says here in verses 18, He uses these words deliverance and liberty. These words are unmistakable in their meaning. They translate the same Greek word. And that Greek word is used 17 times in the New Testament. Nine times it is translated remission. Five times it is translated forgiveness. When when Jesus quotes Isaiah... And translating it from the original Hebrew to the language of the day, Greek in our New Testament, Jesus used words that, that throughout the scriptures are within the context of forgiveness. Jesus is telling the people here, there is something you need more than freedom physically. There is something you need more in their understanding of that day, uh, freedom and deliverance from Roman occupation you need forgiveness. We're all sinners who owe a sin debt to God, condemned by our sin and in our sin. And there is nothing we can do about it in and of ourselves, but Jesus said to the people, I've come to provide forgiveness. He speaks of the captive and Setting at liberty those who are, are bruised. We think about the bondage and the bruising, the, the injury that our sin causes us in our lives. The injury, the grief that it brings to God. And what a wonderful understanding that the Messiah came to provide forgiveness came to provide what we needed, even more than physical freedom, even more than freedom from the occupation of an enemy. We need forgiveness of our sin. And the Messiah came to provide that, but notice, thirdly, he provides fruitfulness. When you think about it, his message speaks of the fruit he produces. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives. What is that? That is the fruit of the gospel. I'm going to come proclaiming good news, and that good news is going to bring some tremendous fruit in people's lives. It's going to bring healing to those who need healing. It's going to bring freedom to those who need freedom. It's going to bring forgiveness to those who need forgiveness. going to bring a message of hope to the poor to the to the neglected to the forgotten it's going to bring them that message of hope that they so desperately need it brings fruit instead though of believing and receiving him the bible tells us here that his hometown people questioned his claim. They listened to the words. They fastened their eyes on him. And when he sat down to give the interpretation of the reading and said, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears right here. At this time, in this place, this prophecy is fulfilled. Instead of believing and receiving him, they said, Wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph's son? I I mean... You know, 25 years ago, was that scrawny little kid? Was that teenager? Living and growing up in the carpenter's home? Isn't this just Joseph's son? The Bible says that they wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth over and over the New Testament Gospels their accounts tell us of this type of response to Jesus. When he preached truth, that enlightened them. They loved it. He preaches with authority. He is gracious in the way that he Presents God's truth He speaks in ways we've heard no one else None of our rabbis have spoken words Like this man speaks Listen to his understanding Of the word of God But then When the truth accused them They began to turn away Notice they turned Jesus away through rejecting his message, but secondly, they turned Jesus away through rejecting his mission. The people marveled and wondered could he be the Christ? I mean, isn't this Joseph's son? We know about his origins, we know about his family. This this just doesn't make sense in our minds that he could be the Messiah. He could be the fulfillment of God's prophecy. How could this really be the Christ? Not all of that is coming out here in the text, but certainly all these thoughts are being pondered in the minds of those who were there, the hearts of those that were there. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and he knew their hearts. And so he speaks to them, and he says, as we read, you'll certainly give me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. The great works that we've heard you doing in other places do the same thing here. And you might ask the question, why did Jesus not go into Nazareth performing all kinds of miracles and then give his message? Because, friends, you and I need to remember that it wasn't the miracles that were important. It was the message that was key. It wasn't about accepting Jesus' miracles his power that would bring salvation. It was accepting his message of the kingdom of God that would bring salvation. And so Jesus knew, you're going to wonder, why am I not doing miracles? Why am I just here presenting myself in my message? He said a prophet's without honor in his own country, and then he gives them these illustrations. And we may wonder what these illustrations are all about. You might want to jot down in your notes or there in your Bible that Jesus used Old Testament illustrations of God's love for and desire to bring Gentiles into his family. Why did they hear him claim to be the Messiah, wondered his gracious words, and ask, Is not this Joseph's son? But then become so enraged after he completes the message Because in these illustrations, Jesus speaks of Elijah and Elisha. During Elijah's ministry, there was that three-and-a-half-year drought. Remember, during King Ahab's reign? It, It would end with his challenge to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings chapter 19. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 17, during the drought... God sent Elijah to a widow woman of Sarepta. She was going to care for him and provide for him. When Elijah gets there, she has nothing. If I prepare this food, now I and my son are going to die. But Elijah says, prepare something for me first. God's going to take care of it. She does. She takes care of the prophet of God first. And then God supplies her need throughout the rest of the jar. What was so amazing about that? She wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. Even in the Old Testament time, God declared and showed his love for everyone. And Jesus says to the people there on that day, there were a lot of widows in Israel that, in that day, but God didn't send Elijah to them. He sent Elijah to a woman who was a Gentile. Why? Because God knew that she would receive the prophet of God and obey, respond. And then God says, or Jesus says here, and then during the the ministry of Elisha, there were many lepers in Israel in his day, but none of them were healed, only Naaman the Syrian who was Naaman. His story is in 2 Kings chapter 5. Well we already can figure out a Syrian. This is one of Israel's enemies. In fact when the king of Syria sent to the king of Israel and said hey my general over here has leprosy one of his servant girls who's an Israelite servant who was there because Syria had attacked and taken people captive. She's told him about the prophet of God who's there who can heal him and the king of Israel frets and says he's looking for a reason to attack us he's going to come in and attack elisha sends word to the king and says send him to me i'll take care of it naaman comes and elisha says go dip yourself in the jordan seven times naaman at first says why should i dip myself in that dirty river when there are nicer bodies of water in syria his servants say hey if he told you to do something hard you do it right And so he did it. He received the word, and he did. And God healed him. This enraged the people of Nazareth. Why? Because it revealed God's heart for the Gentile. They didn't want anything to do with that. The Gentiles were were dogs. The Gentiles were, were abomination. The Gentiles were good for nothing except God's judgment. And By the way, if you go on reading in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2, Jesus ended with to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 2 goes on to talk about God's judgment. Why did he stop? Because Jesus' work was not to come and bring judgment. John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bring salvation and salvation, not for the Jew only, but also for the Gentile. And to that, you and I should say, praise God, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because if salvation were the way the Jews perceived it to be, it wouldn't be available to us. But it is. Because God loves and desires them to. Not only that, they were enraged because, Jill, if you think about it, Jesus' illustrations focus on what God didn't do just as much as what he did do. What didn't God do in Jesus' illustrations. He didn't provide for and heal the people of Israel. Why? Because they had rebelled against him. They'd rejected him. They had turned him away. And so in those instances, God was punishing them. And that angered them. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. And Jesus wants them to understand, even his own hometown folk in Nazareth, God did not do for Israel these things because they had turned away from him. He is revealing in this his mission, that he was coming not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. But they could fail to receive it, and him, if they rejected. Number three... Jesus was proclaiming this, that he provides freedom, forgiveness, and fruitfulness to those who receive and follow him. Listen, but nothing for those who do not. Jesus came for every man, woman, and child. Jesus came to give his life a ransom for all he is the propitiation not for our sins only but also for the sins of the entire world but if you reject him if you turn away from his message and his mission to bring salvation to all to declare God's love not to just one person or one group of people but to all people then you are in danger of turning him away from you and receiving nothing from him. The passage ends, as we read in verses 31 and 32, with Jesus coming to Capernaum. From then on, that would be his base of operation, not his hometown of Nazareth. He would return to Nazareth one more time where he would experience a similar reception and then never go back there again. In Matthew 13 and Mark 6, on his subsequent visit, when again he proclaimed the word of God, the Bible tells us in those passages that he did there no mighty work. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because in turning away from him, they turned him away from them. And friends, you and I may be in a different context. But can I tell you today that there is a real danger of us turning Jesus away? If you're here today or watching or listening by way of the internet and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's Spirit is at work in your life to draw you to himself, to show you your sin, his righteousness, your need of a Savior, and that he is that Savior, and that you can receive the freedom, the forgiveness that he brings through belief in him receiving him as your savior by trusting that he died for your sin was buried and rose again and he'll save you you say but pastor i am a follower of jesus i have believed in him i'm a child of god can i share with you that i believe there is a similar danger in play even in our lives that exists you and i can turn jesus away From the mighty work that he wants to do in our lives, through our lives, in our church, through our church, in our community, for our community. We are striving this year to love God and to love others better. I believe God wants to do a great work in your life. Do you believe that? I believe God wants to do a great work in your family, do you? I believe God wants to do a great work in this church, do you? I believe God wants to do us to do a work for him in this community, do you? Can we be in danger of turning him away? I believe the answer is yes. How? Through a wrong response to him or even through a lack of response to him. God is speaking. God is working. He's impressing upon your heart and mine, responding to him, obeying him, committing to him, giving to him. Are we turning away? If we do, then we are in great danger of turning him away. Let's not do that. When God speaks to our hearts through his message, let's respond in obedience. When God speaks to our hearts about his mission that he wants us to be a part of, that he wants to do and fulfill through us, let's obey and let's commit to God. Let's be a part of that mission as he leads us. Let's not be guilty of turning away and thus turning him away from us. We love the truth when it enlightens us, but what about when it accuses us? May even then we be found responding in obedience to the word of God. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. And as we wait before the Lord for just these moments, I wonder, is God speaking to your heart today? Maybe there as you sit in a chair here in this auditorium, or there as you watch or listen by way of the internet stream, God has spoken to your heart about your need for a Savior today. Friends, can I tell you today that not just any Savior will do. You need jesus he is the only savior the only one who can provide freedom and forgiveness of sin no one and nothing else can do that but jesus if you've never trusted jesus as your savior the invitation is open to you today how about you child of god Have you been guilty of turning away from Jesus? Perhaps God's been working in your heart, drawing you, speaking to you through his word. His spirit has been prompting you to get involved in his mission in some way. And you have failed. You've turned away. You have not committed. You've neglected. You've put it off. Today is the day that God is calling for you to respond to him in obedience. Would you do it? I'm going to ask Stephanie to begin to play. Would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed?